0: I want you, if you will, to turn in your Bibles now to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. If you have been with us for these last days, we have been occupying ourselves with a perspective about wisdom from the book of Proverbs. And we have seen from Proverbs chapter 1, for instance, in verses 20 to 33, what we have called the warning of wisdom. And then from Proverbs chapter 2, we occupy, occupied ourselves with the concept of the work of wisdom, the work in, involved in gaining wisdom. And now in Proverbs chapter 3, we have undertaken a study of the wealth of wisdom, or the abundance of Of wisdom. All the things that God wants to teach us from His Word through His wisdom. And in verses 1 to 12 of Proverbs chapter 3, we've been looking at what I've entitled in this first section of the chapter, the wealth of wisdom's commands. The wealth of wisdom's commands. And I have been telling you that in this particular section, verses 1 to 12, there are six commands of the Lord given to us in order for us to be obedient to them. Six commands of wisdom, a great abundance of wisdom has been given to us in these 12 verses. You remember in verses 1 and 2, we had a command, number one, to not forget the Lord's Word. And then command number two in verses 3 and 4 was to not forget the Lord's character. Command number three is in verses 3, 4, and 5, and that is to trust in the Lord and not in yourself. And then command number four that we saw last time was in verses 7 and 8, and we principalized it, fear the Lord with all humility and piety. We talked a lot last time, didn't we, about pride and humility. We talked about what the Lord commands us to do, and of course, the reasons or the fruit or the motivation of doing so. And as we continue on in Proverbs chapter 3, I find another command given to us in verses 9 and 10. And it is this Honor the Lord from your financial and material resources. Honor the Lord from your financial and material resources. In other words, the fifth command of this first section of Proverbs chapter 3 is to honor the Lord with your money and your materials. Let's read it together. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Now, as I said, this is a command of the Lord. Now, this particular phrase, honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce, is not an option. It is a command. Just as these other commands that we have discussed thus far are indeed commands, so is this. We are to honor the Lord from our financial and material resources. And I guess the first question, I suppose, that we should ask about this particular command of the Lord is, Why? Why should I honor the Lord with my wealth? Well, the answer to that, of course, is that as believers, and especially as believers in the New Covenant, we are readily to acknowledge that all money... All possessions, all material goods, all produce, any way that you want to state it, belongs to the Lord Himself. He's the one who owns it all. And if the Lord causes anyone who has any kind of material or financial means, and that just about covers all of us, then it is to acknowledge that He is the one who gives it if He owns it all. If He gives us the financial means, then that means He had it before and He gives it to us for us to have it. Now, this is a principle, of course, that is taught throughout the Bible. And there are many, many, princip- uh, many, many passages that speak of this particular principle that the Lord owns it all. And by way, potentially, I guess, of a reminder for you who may have read through the Scripture and seen these things, I want to point out a few passages of Scripture that speak to this idea that God owns it all. Turning your Bible, first of all, to Deuteronomy chapter 8, Deuteronomy chapter 8, and these again are just some passages which speak to us of the very clear biblical principle that God owns it all that God owns it all. He owns all the money in the world. He possesses all of the material things of the world, all of the productivity in the world, all of the produce. It is God's and God's alone. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18. Moses, of course, is teaching the children of Israel, and he says this by way of a principle, But you, you children of Israel, you shall remember the Lord your God, And how are we to remember the Lord our God? For it is He who is giving you power to make wealth, that He may confirm His covenant which He swore to your fathers as it is this day. Did you catch that? It is God who is giving you power to make wealth. Any wealth we have, any ability that we have to make wealth, to make money, to work and to work hard, is as a result primarily of the God of the universe who is the powerful God who gives us the power to make wealth. That's very, very clear from that text. And then turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 1. 2 Chronicles chapter 1. This also gives us the very clear teaching that God owns it all. Why should we honor the Lord from our wealth? Well, one, it's to acknowledge that he owns it all. We should honor him because he's the one who gives us the power to make wealth. In 2nd Chronicles chapter 1, let's begin reading in verse 11. God said to Solomon, and this, of course, was just after Solomon prayed for God's wisdom. He didn't pray for a lot of other things which he could have, but he prayed for God's wisdom. And God said to Solomon, verse 11, 2 Chronicles 1, Because you had this in mind and did not ask for riches, wealth, or honor, or the life of those who hate you, in other words, for the uh, the, the snuffing out of all of his persecutors, all of his enemies, because you you haven't asked for that, "'Nor have you even asked for a long life, "'but you have asked for yourself wisdom and knowledge "'that you may rule my people over whom I have made you king. "'Wisdom and knowledge have been granted to you.'" Which, of course, teaches that it is God Himself who is the possessor of all of wisdom and knowledge in addition to all of the wealth of the world. Notice what He says now. "'And I will give you riches and wealth.'" and honor, such as none of the kings who were before you has possessed, nor those who will come after you. Isn't that interesting? Solomon didn't ask for riches and honor. He didn't ask for a long life. He didn't ask for the heads of his enemies. But God says, because you ask for the right thing, in addition to giving you wisdom and knowledge, I'll also give you riches and honor. Why? Because God owns it all. He's the possessor of it. He's the creator of it. Look at the end of 2 Chronicles in chapter 32. This says the same thing in a different way. Second Chronicles chapter 32. Verse 27. It's talking about Hezekiah here, King Hezekiah. His heart was humbled. He went to the Lord, he humbled himself. Verse 27, Now Hezekiah had immense riches and honor, and he made for himself treasuries for silver, gold, precious stones, spices, shields, and all kinds of valuable articles, storehouses also for the produce of grain, wine, oil pins for all kinds of cattle and sheepfolds for the flocks. He made cities for himself and acquired flocks and herds in abundance. Notice this, for God had given him very great wealth. Who had done it? Who had done it? God God had given them him that wealth. If in fact God for his own sovereign purposes in his providential plan wanted to withhold that wealth from Hezekiah, he could have done so. Hezekiah would have been poor. He would not have had the kinds of wealth that is explained in this text. You probably know this text maybe better than any in the whole Bible that speaks about God and He being the one who owns it all. In Psalm uh, chapter 50, verse 10, the Bible says, For every beast of the forest is mine, God speaking, the cattle on a thousand hills. God owns it all. He's totally in charge of all money, all possessions, all material wealth, all produce. He owns it all. Every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. Psalm 104. Psalm 104, verse 24, again speaks of our God being the one who has it all. Psalm 104, 24. O Lord, how many are your works? In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your possessions. You see, there might be someone who says, I own it. They they are my possessions. You'll often hear little kids playing, and one of them will say, no, it's what? Mine. How come you said that so uniformly? Because we've all seen it. We've all seen it so very clearly. It is mine. Not according to this verse. The earth is full of your possessions. We're just the caretakers of it. But God owns it all. Look at Psalm 112. This is, this is the Bible's teaching on the subject of, of God having it all, owning it all. Verse 1 of Psalm 112, "'Praise the Lord, how blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in His commandments. His descendants will be mighty on earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house.'" and his righteousness endures forever. Do you see verse 3? Wealth and riches are in his house. And as a result of of whom or what? The Lord, verse 1, the man who fears the Lord. The only reason that someone can have any wealth and riches in his house is because he praises and fears the Lord, according to to verse 1 of Psalm 112. It is God's. He owns it all. And if you want just one more, Ecclesiastes 5.19. There are many, many others, but these are the ones that seem to me to be both, both uh, good reminders for us and the most notable about God owning it all. Ecclesiastes 5.19. Furthermore, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth... Notice God is the one giving it. He has also empowered him to eat from them and to receive his reward and rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. Can't be any clearer than that. It's the gift of God. He's the one who gives wealth to people and he even is the one who empowers the man to eat it. Isn't that incredible? God's not only the one that gives us what we have, but he also gives us the power to consume it. The power to consume it in order for us to have strength. And as it says here, to rejoice in our labor. It is the gift of God. Now, from these passages, beloved, we see that we're to honor the Lord from our wealth because He is the one who gives it to us. But I want you to notice something back in Proverbs chapter 3. If it says there, honor the Lord, and if it's talking about material possessions, if it's talking about our money, I want you to notice a key little word there and what it says. Do you notice it says, "Honor the Lord"? Key word from your wealth. You know how important that is. It, it, it's one thing to honor the Lord in your wealth. It's maybe another thing to honor the Lord even by acknowledging that it is the Lord who is the giver of wealth. But this isn't what that says. All of the passages that we've talked to, uh, talked about up, up to this point are all acknowledging that it is God who is the one who gives us wealth. Now this command is saying, honor the Lord from your wealth. You see it? It's not just in acknowledging that God owns it all. There might even be unbelievers who would say God owns it all. The issue for believers is to honor the Lord from your wealth. And I did a little thinking about that. What what does it really mean, practically speaking, to honor the Lord from your wealth? And I thought about three ways that we could honor the Lord from our wealth. And the first one is to thank Him, is to thank Him from whom all wealth comes. I mean, it just stands to reason, doesn't it, that if God is the one who owns it all, if He's the one from whom all of these blessings materially come, if all of the finances are God's and God's alone, and if He chooses to give any of it to us, then the first praise on our lips ought to be to thank Him for His material wealth given to us. Thank Him from whom all wealth comes. I think we ought to thank Him for our life, shouldn't we? And there are many of us that wake up every morning of our lives and say, Lord, thank you, thank you for my life. I just heard over this weekend, even though I don't know all of the details, but I heard through my wife that someone had called the house and said that one of our own members, David Ward, you know this, uh, Tracy? Uh, In your own heart, the idea of God preserving our life. David was driving down, I think, was it I-430? Just driving down I-430? Someone comes from the opposite side, down in the median, up on the other side, and hits him head on. And apparently the state trooper who came upon the scene saw the the carnage, the wreckage, looked at the uh, vehicle uh, from which David was driving, looked at it, and said, the person that was in there did not make it, and he walked away unscathed. We ought to honor the Lord by thanking Him because He gives us life. Do you thank God for the very life that you have? Do you thank God for for the very breath that you breathe? You ought to thank God for your life. You ought to thank God also for your shelter, for your home, for a roof over your head. You ought to thank God for your clothes, whatever clothes you have. doesn't matter what kind they are. At least they're covering our bodies, right? We ought to thank God for that. Some of us are thanking God because of the body we have uh, much more than some others. We, we want to thank God for the clothes that we have. Thank you, Lord, for covering this very, very ugly body. Thank you. We ought to thank the Lord for our meals, shouldn't we? Now, many of us do that. We pray together as a family. We, we pray together in restaurants. But sometimes maybe that's as far as our thank yous go to God. Maybe just for our meals. But we ought to say, God, you, you have provided my clothes. You've provided my shelter. You, you've provided for and preserved my very life. I ought to thank you for that. That's a great way of implementing Proverbs 6.33, isn't it? Proverbs, uh, excuse me, Matthew 6.33. Matthew 6.33, it says what? Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things, food, shelter, and clothing, all these things shall be added to you. Why? Because I'm thanking God. I'm seeking first His kingdom. I'm seeking first His righteousness, and therefore He's going to provide those things for me, and I want to thank Him for that. You know what you ought to do? You ought to thank God for your bills. Now, I heard someone laugh about that. You should. You should thank God for your bills. You should thank God for your obligations. Why? Because God is giving you time to pay them out. Just think what your life would be like or my life would be like if we didn't have time to pay all of our bills. What if all of our bills were coming due the very moment we made the purchase? A lot of us would not be able to survive, would we? A lot of us would not be able to have the home that we have in. How many of us have uh, 100000 hundred thousand, two hundred thousand, two hundred fifty thousand 200000 $250,000 uh, to put into a home where you could just pay cash on hand and you own it outright? But God is gracious to us, and since He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, He gives some people some money, and then they give it to us, and then we're able to pay them back. That's what an obligation is. Do you realize that? An obligation is something that I buy over time. That's an obligation. That's not a debt. We need to get our terminology straight in the Christian community. A debt is something that someone is unable to pay. That's a debt. And the Bible says you should have no debt at all, Romans 13, except the debt to love, to love your brothers, to love one another. An obligation is something that I owe that I'm paying out. And we ought to thank God for the ability to pay out the things that we owe. Now, some things we can pay just cash money right then and there. But some things we need some help in so that when our paycheck comes in, then we can turn around and write a check to someone else so that we can pay our bills on time. That's called an obligation. And we ought to thank God for the ability to to over time, pay our bills. That's a gift of God. Guess what would happen if God did not bring us the money so that we could pay these things out over time? Then we'd be in debt. That would be an indebtedness. And that's not what the Lord wants from us. He wants us to pay our bills. And we ought to thank Him for the opportunity. Some we can pay right then, some we can pay later. We ought to thank Him for that. We ought to thank Him for the desire to work hard. He gives us that desire. He gives us the very desire to work as hard as we can. We ought to thank Him for all those things. And and those are just a few that I thought of. Secondly, in addition to thanking God from whom all wealth comes, we ought to use it wisely. We ought to use it wisely since we affirm through whom or or from whom it has come. We ought to use our money wisely. Why? Because we affirm that there is one who has given it to us, and that, namely, is God. If God, the God of the universe, the one who created us, the one who created the whole world, the one who created all the money, the one who gives us material wealth, if that's the one to whom we have to do, if that's the one who has given us all of our cash, if if that's the one, if, if He's the one who's ultimately giving it to us, then we ought to use it wisely because it comes from Him. It comes from the God of the universe. Should that shake some of us into reality that says, look, this is God who has given me this money, and I better use it wisely because it's come from Him. And if you affirm that it is God Himself who blesses us with the ability to gain wealth, if it is this this God of the universe who has given it to me, then I better be a good steward of it. I better be a good steward of the money. This is the way the Apostle Paul mentions it in First Corinthians four seven. Listen to this. What do you have that you did not receive? And if you didn't and if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? In other words, it, it, it stops the mouth of all boasting because all of us recognize, God, you've given this to me. I didn't have this on my own. I didn't accumulate this. I didn't have the ingenuity to think it up. I didn't originate this wealth. You did. And if you've given it to me as a gift, then I ought to say I've received this from you. I can't be proud of it. I can't be arrogant. I can't be boastful. Why, if if I did receive this, do I then say to myself or to others, I made this, I did this? A lot of arrogance going on, even in the church. People saying, this is what I've done. This is the hard work that I've gone through. Uh, This is what I've labored for. Well, in one sense that's true, but in another sense, no. God is the one who originates all wealth, and since He's the one who also has the purse strings, He's the one who gives it, and when I receive it, I ought to first and foremost say, in addition to what I've done by God's enablement, I recognize and realize and acknowledge that it is God Himself who is the one who gives it to me. And in terms of using it wisely, if you need to, budget your money. Now, there's nothing in the Bible that says, budget your money. There's nothing in the Bible. There's no command that says, thou shalt budget your money. Nothing in there that says that if you budget your money, great. If you don't, that's great. The issue is this. Are you using it wisely? That's the issue. It's not the issue that you're a wicked, lousy sinner if you don't budget your money. But if you don't budget your money, are you using it wisely? Do you know what it's being used for? Are you using it to the glory of God? Do you know what monies you have? And if you do, uh, what is it going for? Uh, What's the income? What's the outgo? And if you struggle with that or if you need that help, if you need the accountability, then budget your money. Itemize all of your financial and material means so that by all means you will do so as the steward of God's riches. Manage your money as though you were keeping it for someone else because guess what? That's exactly what you're doing. That is exactly what you're doing. You are keeping it for someone else. You're keeping it for God because He owns it. We're just the steward of it. And I think thirdly, not just the idea of using it wisely and thanking God for it, but thirdly, realizing this, since it comes from Him, give the first portion back to Him. Give the first portion back to Him. Why do you say that? That's exactly what it says in Proverbs 3, nine. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. Do you see it there? This is precisely what the text says. We are to honor the Lord from the first of all our produce. We might say in the modern vernacular, Honor the Lord from the first of whatever it is you produce. Honor the Lord from whatever it is you produce. Don't be hung up on the agrarian terminology here, the idea of, of produce, like, well, I don't have to give the first of us, uh, first of it since I don't own any cattle. Well, that's not the point. The point is that we are to give of the first of whatever it is we produce. That's what it's saying. In other words, this has both a spiritual and a material meaning you say, how so? Well, this little word first, you see it there, from the first of your produce. That gives us the idea of the old covenant sense of the first fruits. What is the first fruits? Well, it was a reference originally to the acknowledgement of the children of Israel that they had been redeemed out of bondage in Egypt. And the spiritual significance, of course, is that God had released them from that bondage, not just physically, not just by physically taking them out of Egyptian bondage, but also He had spiritually redeemed them. He had spiritually done so. That's that's the idea of the first fruits. The spiritual significance was to be manifested in a physical way. And how was that way? Well, it was for the dedication of your firstborn son. As well as the dedication, the first fruits of your livestock. And I want you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 13 in order to see this. It's a very, very important principle on giving. Now, I understand that the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, was a theocracy. And sometimes, if we're not careful, we're going to be confusing ourselves as to what kind of giving this is. But interestingly enough, and amazingly enough, the giving of the Old Testament is very similar to the giving in the New Testament. How so? Well, the giving of the Old Testament was twofold. You could all boil it down to two forms of giving. One is what we might call required giving. And that's what the Lord is going to teach us here in Exodus 13. There is another form of giving, and we'll see that a little bit later on, and that is what we might call free will offering. Free will offering. So we have required giving, that is, that the Old Testament, the children of Israel gave to the government, quote-unquote, and that was, of course, the Levitical priesthood, it was the judges of the land, uh, tax purposes, et etc. Cetera, et cetera. This was required on the part of the Jews, even giving to the poor a sort of a socialized plan for giving to the poor. All of that is under the banner of what we could call required giving. It's like what we have in the New Covenant Age, in the New Testament, what we might call required giving, and we call that commonly taxes. Pay your taxes. That's Romans 13. So the required giving of the Old Testament is more or less to be equated with taxation in the New Testament. Free will offering in the Old Testament is more or less to be equated with cheerful giving in the New Testament. Selfless giving, heartfelt giving, that's what it is, free will offering. You can even see it in that term. I give of my free will. Uh, That's I give of a certain amount out of the free will of my heart. That's the New Testament giving pattern. That's the idea where I'm going to be a cheerful giver. I have required giving. That's my paying of my taxes to the government, Romans 13. But I also have free will giving. I give over an abundance of that which God has blessed me with. You want to see some required giving in Exodus 13? Look at uh, at chapter 13, verse 12. I mean, excuse me, chapter 13, verse 12. You shall devote to the Lord the first offspring of every womb, and the first offspring of every beast that you own. See, that's where they come up with the idea of first fruits. Why? The males belong to the Lord. But every first offspring of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. But if you do not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. In other words, if you don't do the right thing, if you don't, uh, give of this first fruits of this donkey, then you can't use it. Break its neck. Get rid of it because it's it's being dedicated to the Lord. Don't say you're going to dedicate something to the Lord and then not dedicate it. If you don't do that, you take a lamb and you, you redeem it. And every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. And it shall be when your son asks you in time to come, saying, what is this? Then you shall say to him, With a powerful hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. It came about when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go that the Lord killed every firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore I, this is the father talking, to his son, I sacrifice to the Lord the males, the first offspring of every womb, but every firstborn of my sons I redeem. Why do you redeem the first sons of the womb? Because they are human beings who are to be dedicated to the Lord. That's why we have dedicatory services to our children. We dedicate them to the Lord. And, of course, in our vernacular, we don't sacrifice lambs. We don't sacrifice animals. We don't do that anymore. But what we what do we do? We sacrifice in our giving to the Lord. That's it. Same thing is really taught us in Deuteronomy chapter 26. This uh, first fruits idea, if you've ever wondered, what is that first fruits idea? These are the passages which teach it. Deuteronomy chapter 26, verse 1. Then it shall be, when you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance, and you possess it and live in it, "...that you shall take some of the first of all the produce of the ground which you bring in from your land that the Lord your God gives you." There it is. It's God again. He's the one who gives it. "...and you shall put it in a basket and go to the place where the Lord your God chooses to establish His name. You shall go to the priest who is in office at the time and say to him, I declare this day to the Lord my God that I've entered the land which the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. Then the priest shall take the basket from your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God." You shall answer and say before the Lord your God, My father was a wandering Aramean, and he went down to Egypt and sojourned there a few in number. But there he became great, mighty, and a populous nation. And the Egyptians treated us harshly and afflicted us and imposed hard labor on us. Then we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers. And the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction and our toil and our oppression. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm with great terror and with signs and wonders. And He has brought us to this place and has given us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now behold, I have brought the first of the produce of the ground which you, O Lord, have given me, and you shall set it down before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. And you and the Levite and the alien, that's a foreigner, someone from the nations who is among you, shall rejoice in all the good which the Lord your God has given you and your household. I think this is just tantamount to taxation. Taxation. This is required giving. This is what someone would do to help those in need. This is what someone would do to give to those who are responsible for all the people. And the Lord says, give of the first of your produce. Give it to the Lord. Now you say, what about the New Testament? Well, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. I think this is what we're told. We are to, according to Romans 13 give and that same kind of required giving and then for us and i'll show you a passage in a moment that speaks of the israelites giving of a free will offering this is our free will offering if romans 13 says this is a requirement you have no option there you have to pay your taxes to the government then this is our free will offering to the lord 1 corinthians 16, 1. now concerning the collection for the saints As I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of every week, I think that this is a spiritual principle. If if it's true that we're supposed to give our first fruits to the Lord, the first things we've been blessed with, then I think materially and financially the Lord wants us to give at the first day of the week. I don't think that's just talking about the idea of a Sunday there. I think it's also talking, spiritually speaking, about the idea that our priority, number one, first priority, is to give to the Lord. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper so that collections be made when I come. And then he goes down through and talks about the Macedonians and the Corinthians and what they're supposed to do. I believe there's a spiritual principle there. That's why we give on Sundays. That's why we give on the Lord's Day. That's why we pass out an offering plate. I'm to give the first day of the week out of that which God has prospered me to give. And you say, well, is there required giving? Yes, that's your taxes. That's Romans 13. That's not an option, and in most cases, that's not flexible either. You you don't have a flexibility in what you pay them. You, You have a requirement about what you pay them. But the flexibility is here, and what it says here is that you, as you have prospered, should give to the Lord. That's what you're supposed to do. And that's where we are as New Covenant people. We are to be required to give, and that's what we do to the government, and we ought to give freely to the Lord, including the idea of coming as a church gathering on a Sunday, first day of the week. You ought to have in your heart a knowledge of what you're supposed to give the Lord in the first day of the week. This is the first day. This is worship. Sunday's not the seventh day. Sunday's the what? The first day. This is the first day of the week, and the Lord wants us to give in the first of all of our possessions you say how much i don't know how much should i give i don't know just just give be a cheerful giver that's what it says in second corinthians just just give just give it all if you want to as long as you are paying your obligations as long as you are paying the obligation first priority to the government of your taxes normally around april 15th unless you have an extension you are required then to give of your heart and whatever your heart says give then give if you see a, meet, a need meet it you don't want to be like a, a proverbs 11:24 there is one who scatters that is scatters his money and yet increases all the more and there is one who withholds what is justly due and yet it results only in want The spiritual principle is this, scatter all your money all the way around, and guess what? It'll increase to you. But if you hold on to it, if you don't give it, it results only in want. In other words, if I hoard the money I have, I want more money. I want to hoard more money. But if you scatter your money, it increases all the more. Be a cheerful giver. That's the Macedonians. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 about the Macedonians, they gave first of their own lives, it said. First of their own lives. In other words, they gave their whole life, not just their money. But then it says this, they gave out of the wealth of their poverty. And it even goes on to use another word about how they gave. They gave liberally. Now, sometimes we don't like that word, right? especially in political circles. We don't like the idea of liberal, but we do like that idea when we talk about money. The Lord really likes that word liberal, and he talks about giving liberally, giving out of liberality. And the Macedonians are a great example because it says they gave liberal, liberally out of their poverty. They hardly had anything. The widow had the mite, and the mite would be something like 0.000-something uh, 0. 000 cents that we might see it today. wasn't even a penny, but she gave 100%. She gave it all. She gave everything she had. Now, someone might say, well, if I give my money away, will I have enough to pay my own obligations? Well, pay your own obligations. Figure out how much you have and your obligations. But if you believe that you have more obligations than you need, if you believe that you have some issues that are really not a need, but only a desire, only a want, only a lust, then get rid of it. So you can give more money to the Lord. Someone might say, well, I have enough to give first to the Lord? You will, because look at verse 11 of Proverbs 3. Here's the motivation. Here's the reason. Here, here's what results. Give first to the Lord, first to... By honoring Him out of your produce, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. In other words, the spiritual principle for us is your desires will be satiated. You'll be satisfied. God will give to you. He'll overflow to you, filled with plenty, overflowing with new wine. And boy, did the Jews of the Old Testament receive some indictments by God. Boy, it was incredible, just the study of of reading this week about how many times the Jews went from a place of being convicted about their giving, changing their hearts, repenting of their sins, giving of their money in abundance, and then going right back into that pattern of selfishness. And it is repeated throughout the Old Testament about how God dealt with them in that regard. At one point, they were so magnanimous in their giving, and at other points, they were hoarding their money, hoarding their produce until God was indicting them once again. We will have some time. We'll have to take it up next time in terms of some of these passages, but you need to read these because they are very convicting for us as well. Let me just give you a couple as we close from Proverbs. Proverbs fifteen six. Proverbs fifteen six. Great wealth is in the house of the righteous... But trouble is in the income of the wicked. In other words, if you are endeavoring to be a righteous person, God wants to give you wealth. God wants to bless your life. You say, how much? How much will God bless me? Only God knows. Since He owns it all, He'll write the check, and I don't know the amount. But God does. He'll give it to you. If you are endeavoring to be a righteous person, Proverbs 8.18 says this, riches and honor are with wisdom. That's wisdom speaking. Riches and honor are with wisdom, enduring wealth and righteousness. Enduring wealth. God wants to bless us. God wants to give us wealth. goes on to say in verse 21, to endow those who love me with wealth. Notice this, that I may fill their treasuries. You say, well, I'm not sure I'm always able to balance this idea of, is it talking spiritual wealth, physical wealth? Uh, What's the meaning there? Both. Both. The issue is, if I'm to honor God with the righteousness, righteousness of my life, right thinking, right acting, right doing, right living, then God obligates Himself to take care of me financially. That's the spiritual principle that is throughout the Bible. If God looks at my life and sees that I have integrity, sees that I want to follow Him, sees that I want to live my life in glorifying Jesus Christ, then God obligates Himself to help me in my cause. And what is that cause? At least, at the very minimum, food, shelter, clothing. Matthew chapter 6. God will do that. God says, don't worry about it. Don't have anxiety about all these things. Doesn't God understand every time that a little sparrow hops on the ground? Literally, in the Greek text, it means God knows the number of times that little sparrow hops on the ground. He has all of those things numbered. And then when we comb our hair in the morning, it says He has all of the hairs on our head numbered. Even when all those little hairs come off in that little comb, God still knows how many hairs you have on your head. It is less than you have before. But it is a number that is known to God. And guess what? If God, here's the spiritual principle, if He knows so intimately about your life, then you don't have a thing to worry about. Not at all. Certainly not financial worries. You don't have to worry financially. If you live your life for the glory of Jesus Christ, then God obligates Himself how you are supposed to be living. If you thank Him, if you use it wisely, and if you recognize that it is from God Himself, and therefore you are going to be this great steward of the money that He's given you, God obligates Himself to take care of you. You don't have to worry about that. I'm going to show you next time the number of passages, especially from the Old Testament, that speak of this pattern of the children of Israel, because it's our pattern. We, we come to a place where we say after a Sunday like this, Okay, Lord, I'm, I'm going to give... I mean, you've convicted me. You've challenged me. I don't manage my money well. I've got to give a greater amount. I've got to do what's right. I know that. I have to live a faithful, righteous, godly life. I know I have to do that. And I know one aspect of that is that I have to give more of my money because I've been hoarding some of it. I've been worried. I've been worried that I don't have enough. I've been really worried, maybe in some cases, because I don't know what my obligations are. It's the kind of thing that I I don't want to know about. I, I want to push it out so that I don't know about it. And I'm just going sort of from day to day. But, Lord, I don't want to do that. Well, this will be a great first Sunday. But the Lord wants us to have a pattern in our giving, a pattern of gracious giving, a pattern of liberal giving. And in order for us to do that, we have to learn, like the children of Israel, that God wants us not to be so convicted, and then change just for a season, He wants us to live a lifelong pattern of gracious, humble giving. And we'll see from the children of Israel how it was good at some points, bad at some points, when they were supposed to be building a house for God, when they were padding their own houses, when God was wanting them to know that He would fill their treasuries of all kinds of material goods if they would but serve Him and focus on Him and how that is so much a part of us. You know that the Bible says in several places, 1 Corinthians 10 being one of them, other places, these things, Romans 15, these things happen to them, the children of Israel, as examples for us. And that's why we need to read about them and their particular life experiences because it comes to all of us. If we are people who are giving people, notice that Proverbs 3, if we're giving people, God says, I will fill with plenty your barns and your vats will overflow with new wine. What does that mean? Does that mean I'm going to be rich? Does that mean I'm going to be like the word faith teachers that say, I give money and God gives me a Cadillac? No, doesn't mean that. In fact, if that's what it means, then there are a lot of people who aren't receiving that. But it's not meaning that. It means that God wants me to have the kind of life that glorifies Him, and then He decides what kind of car I have. He decides what kind of house I live in. He decides how much money I have and where I give it. You say, but how can I know? How can I gain a handle on exactly how much, who to give to, what needs are out there? We'll take that up next time, okay? Let's pray together. Father, there is joy in giving. we see, first of all, that that giving is from You. It's from Your hand. You give to us so that we might give back to You. And, Lord, we know that You don't need our giving. You own the cattle on a thousand hills. You can tell us when our giving is poor you can tell us when our giving is insufficient. You convict us, you challenge us, you change us. But we know it's not for the purpose of you receiving back that which you don't have. You own it all. And Father, we know this is a test. This is a test of our character, it's a test of our wills. Are we prepared to honor the Lord from our wealth? To give of the first fruits to take care of that which is required for us, and then to take care of that which is free for us. Lord, we'd have to admit that sometimes that freedom means for us a stingy giving. We know we're free. We know that we have an amount in our minds that we deem appropriate, and yet, Lord, we admit time and time again It's certainly not up to the standard that you have and that you are because you give so abundantly. Father, increase our gifts. Challenge our giving. Meet our needs and create in us a heart to give to people, pressed down, shaken together, running over, so that you would bless us and bless those around us. Even, Father, when we do it in secret, we know that you see in secret. No one else needs to know. You bless us because of what you do. And, Father, I pray that as we come back next time and we see the children of Israel and what they did and how they gave and how they were challenged and convicted and how even the land was polluted and the even the children were scarred and diseased as well as the parents about selfishness and greed and avarice. Lord, we pray that You would challenge us so that we might be those who are cheerful givers, ready, willing, and able to meet whatever needs come across our path. Lord, we want to be givers. Please allow us to give cheerfully, abundantly. And allow us, like that widow to give everything that we know that we have because we want to give You great glory. In Jesus' name, amen.